Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, everybody. This is Derwin from the Blanket Fortress of Solitude. And in my many travels, I have met some exemplary people. And some of them uh, are more fugly than others, right? The gentleman on the line with me right now is considerably less fugly than many people I've met. Fugly, to be sure. But I remember in college, we were having a three-beer lunch in between different classes. And we're sitting at this bar. And this, I'm going to say, 45-year-old hot professor rolls up. And then doesn't even look at me, goes straight to him and just kind of smiles. And does that thing that women do. And they kind of like gently, like grab your bicep just to see how big and you could tell how impressed she was and so speaking of that impressiveness I want to introduce a good friend of mine who not only has far more educated than anybody that handsome deserves to be but also has spent the better part of 10 years serving his country on multiple deployments his name is Sergeant Aaron Aaron thank you for being on the blanket fort thank you for having me so for the record, that moment would definitely have been fantastic for me if I was less socially awkward. <laughs> See, when you grow up short and fat, you learn how to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Downside about being tall, I have no sense of humor. That yeah, I know. You're just a just a dry, dry, boring guy, you are. <laughs> so where are you from? I am a Midwesterner like yourself. I grew up in a very rich area, which was absolutely fantastic with parents who did not know how to handle their money. So I'm a combination of rich and poor. (laughs) You know, happens to the best of us. Where'd you go to school? The most fancy schools possible. I was a choir kid that went to a bunch of Christian schools for the longest time. Then my parents thought, hey, let's toss this kid into homeschool and then let's toss him into public school. And <laughs> let's pray that he can actually socialize with people. I can definitely tell you, after years of going to Christian schools and being homeschooled, <laughs> my social skills were definitely not there. So I I never do this. I've known you for like 10 years. I never knew you went to a bunch of Christian schools and then you went to like you're homeschooled. And so you had like all of this like structure and like morality and then they threw you in like oh look it's the lion's den and welcome to public school and here's where you buy meth it's behind this you know the lunch line and yeah i joined public school a little bit earlier than that it was more like hey went from extreme morality to here's beavis and butthead and south park and all this big shows that were probably the most sacrilegious things possible so super christian kid meets south park 
So we met at what I refer as the local community college in Indianapolis. And when when did you start going to that community college? Around 2011-2012. So when I was young enough to think community college was fantastic and old enough not to afford anything else. I mean, yeah, I went there because I just assumed I'd fail a bunch of classes and the GI Bill said that like if you failed it, you had to pay stuff back. And they're like, oh, this is only like $500 a class. <laughs> this isn't that much. <laughs> uh, I was in the same boat. Um, yeah. I decided to go to community college because A, I couldn't afford anything else. And B, if you're putting yourself through school, um, well, it always helps that you choose a school that's actually affordable. What was your original intention in college? My original intention was to either go for a computer science degree or go for a logistics degree. I loved logistics until I started working in the sector and went, oh, wow, I'm going to hate life and not get paid for it. That's not going to happen. Why would you hate life? I I mean, I know nothing about logistics outside of the Army stuff, but why so, would you? So depending on your position, it would be a lot of fun. Sure. Um, around the same time that we met, I had identified that I wanted to try logistics. I started reading a bunch of logistics textbooks, started going to a bunch of accounting courses, mm. and started hunting from the nearby companies. So I was like, hey, UPS, this is going to be fantastic. Hey, FedEx, oh yeah. Pilot Freight Services, all these companies in our local area. I was starting to fanboy. I was reading through all their financial reports, all the business data behind them. And I tried to network in on the lowest level because I thought, hey, this is going to be a good way to learn the industry, learn what I was going to do, and actively get a good position if I knew what I was doing. Uh, college speak for Pat, you are a kid. Nice try. <laughs> I got a job at UPS as a package handler and learned pretty quickly when you're trying to do the Christmas rush or stuck on a heavy belt and tossing up axles and tires and filling up 53 foot trailers you get exhausted pretty fast you gotta respect those drivers they run in boots every day I mean UPS tells them to walk but they run yeah that sounds miserable it wasn't the best experience does does not sound good I like that you have the same haircut that I did five years ago when I was uh, on active duty or when I was in the National Guard still. <laughs> Brother, I've had this haircut for the better part of 10 years. I know, I know. But I'm like, because I saw a picture of me from like five years ago in 2017 and I'm seeing a picture of you now. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like, oh, NCO in his mid-20s. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. So unfortunately, it's a dead giveaway. It's the point where random people stop me on the road and go, you're in the military, right? Hey, Sergeant, how's it going today? <laughs> they, they know. It's a thing. <laughs> and the huge downside is if, at least for me, if I get any other haircut, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, no, no. Anyway, so you started at the local community college. Um, what you 
been listening to them because we were tight friends for a little bit, right? Like we kind of hung around in the same circles. We uh, there was like a like a like a like a common break area that we all hung out in, and we were the list of kids talking about laissez-faire economics and how government controls worked on uh, economics while also being super dumb and playing fire truck. Let's pretend like that game doesn't exist because the people that played it were special. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember when we were up there, I was talking to this guy because I was like, it's funny at the time, I thought, oh, they're, you know, I'm 24 and thinking, oh, I'm like the old man on the floor, right? When I'm barely old enough to think for myself, good times. Uh, <laughs> so, when did you enlist? Uh, so, around the same time that we met, I was doing a bunch of different things. I didn't straight go for the Army or the National Guard. I was extremely dumb. My first goal was the Marines. I mean, uh, crayons are good. I get it. Crayons are super good. And I was like, ooh, crayons and muscles. That's what I yeah. want. <laughs> I was, again, a super awkward kid and had a bunch of family issues growing up. Sure. Um when I started going for the Marines, I was extremely naive, didn't know how to network, didn't have any friends in. And when my recruiter asked me for all my medical paperwork, me being my dumb self, got all of my charts from my pediatrician and was like, hey, yeah, this is everything that I've ever had. <laughs> I played hooky from school a lot. My Marine recruiter just looked at me, looked at the paperwork, and said, no. <laughs> nice try, kid. I didn't give up, and I tried doing more stuff. And that yeah. was a good thing. Um, eventually, one of our friends in our group, Zach, if you remember him. I don't. Uh, he introduced me to the Army and stuck me in contact with a good Army recruiter. I say good. Uh, the guy definitely has the heart for it, but... I am moderately salty that you never introduced me to that thing called a waiver. <laughs> See, when I when I enlisted, it was 2006, and I was happy to just not be homeless. <laughs> uh, having a roof over your head and clothes on very nice. Yeah. Okay, so you enlisted. When was this? When, when was your basic active duty service day? I'm going to avoid that one, but it was around... What's your social security number? <laughs> That's what that felt like. <laughs> Sorry. What's your last name? What's your home record? <laughs> <laughs> when did you go in the army, ding dong? <laughs> uh, let's say my sophomore, junior year of college, I started considering the army. And um, around that time, I was trying to hop on the officer track and I was considering the ROTC program. See, that 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 i always thought they made a lot of sense for you and then not just because you're like symmetrical in the face and everything because you can like you can look at offers and officers and be like you know what they come from money for generations because there's not a fugly one of the bunch <laughs> genetically, right genetically there's a difference right there's me and then there's like a lieutenant who can just like fly <laughs> like, what you didn't know is there's actually a calvin klein modeling edition to actually get in the ROTC program, that's a thing. Son of a bitch. I know a NCO that ended up 
popping three or four discs. God damn, fuck. So, yeah, with his squats. He was like, yay, let's try maxing again and again. No. <laughs> that was fun. I was a, I was a, uh, you know, I mean, they changed the PT score now, I think, but like, I was always, I was like, oh, I got 181. I did extra. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've been back and forth on that. Yeah. I used to do something similar. Um, Before I got in, I was extremely dumb and I decided to try to network with people and make friends because I have always been a bleeding heart. I always had a bunch of friends who were in bad spots and I just wanted to meet normal people. And You thought that's a, what normal was? Uh, that's At one point, yeah. Yeah, I know. Me people too. People that I met um, invited me out on a night mountain bike ride, which would have been great. I got 12 miles into a trail, jackknifed my bike, caught my shoulder, Ended up tearing my labrum, my rotator cuff, and fragmenting my socket. Jesus Christ. Uh, So I was in the middle of Texas after, uh, well, let's back up a little bit. Immediately after the injury, I got to walk three miles through Briar, Bristol, and Bramble to the nearest road to flag down a vehicle to the hospital, beg the doctor to stick it back in. (laughs) <laughs> and after that, about three days later, when I was in the middle of Texas, I was super dumb. I was trying to shower, and uh, the thing popped out of socket again. So I got to go to another hospital at 2 or 3 a.m., and I will never forget the doctor there because he looked me dead in the eye after having me in the waiting room for two hours and went, hey, so it looks like you're in a lot of pain. Well, we're going to give you the sedative that killed Michael Jackson. It's ah. an awesome sedative. Ah. Ah. A little bit. I was like, oh, I don't find that funny. <laughs> I mean, it's a little funny now. <laughs> like, you didn't die. If you had died, it would be less funny. It would still be funny. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you didn't die, so it's hilarious now, eight, ten years later. At the time, I was definitely freaking out. He How old are you re- when this happened? Uh, this was right before I joined. Um, right before basic training. Oh, my- fuck. <laughs> That's <laughs> convenient. <laughs> my surgeons thought it was extremely convenient. And for the next six to eight months, they treated me like the dirt on their boot. So uh, I got a very quick stomp in the face by the army. In their defense, their wives left them, and their kids won't even speak. To them. <laughs> so, that one guy was definitely an alcoholic. But um, oh, I called it. <laughs> I know the type. Oh, you're a piece of shit NCO that treats privates like garbage. Oh, your kids won't speak to you. Got it. <laughs> no one pick up the phone. Daddy's calling. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a dead giveaway. A guy with a pot belly, bags under his eyes, angle problems, and smokes like a chimney. Yeah. After I got through rehab and went through basic training, which in itself was fun, Yeah. I failed my final PT test because I had for body strength. Um, evidently doing push-ups while they cause you shooting pain. Every push-up is hard. Who would have guessed? Yeah. Um, so I got to go to fat camp and... Train alongside the WTRP soldiers. 
That's right. I forgot you went to fat camp. I am the fittest person that's ever gone to fat camp. Uh, (laughs) It's very surprising you went to fat camp. Like, they lied on my last PT test coming out of basic training. They're like, oh, you did 39. You did 49 push-ups, not 39 push-ups. You got a passing score, right? But this was 2006, and there was a quarter million ground troops in combat zones. So, like, if you had four working limbs and you could squeeze a trigger finger, they'd send you to Iraq. They didn't give a shit. So, um, mine is definitely not as eventful as primo over postmo. Yeah, but the reason why I bring it up is one of the best stories that I've got. What you got? But, <sighs> prime example of me being a bleeding heart prima donna. Sure, uh, dama, not dama. Uh, um, I met a soldier who I really, really, really liked. I was friends with him, a Mormon guy who told me that he had joined the army for his kid. Was this basic training? Was this AIT? This was basic training to AIT. This was FAT. This was FAT camp. Okay, this was the interlude. Got it. This was the interlude. I was a holdover from basic training because I failed to FAT camp. And FAT camp was extremely fun. I met this guy who evidently volunteered for his kid because his kid needed a surgery kid had a hole in his heart um and i could have passed my pt test within the first week but i spent four weeks there with that guy trying to help him through um successfully helped him through he passed only to cheat on his wife with a girl who was also in fat camp at the time who i fortunately had a crush on a lot of different uh hold over uh, slash hold under from fat camp to AIT because it was on a fun little cycle. Uh, I think it was Labor Day. Okay. So way too much time and a bunch of drill sergeants bad graces because they're like, oh you terrible soldier, you went to fat camp. (laughs) Really fun. Um, (laughs) My wife won't speak to me so I'm going to make you pay. (laughs) you <laughs> changed the locks on my house <laughs> I got super shy about people super fast yeah it didn't help that I was one of the few soldiers that actually got beat up by a drill surgeon in basic um, so first week of basic uh, red phase we were doing a gas mask draw and they had us all lined up in a Fort Leonard Wood barracks um about to talk to our drill sergeants and there was one drill sergeant who was going through some issues he actually did have wife problems damn it fuck I'm so proud Uh, what I really hate is when I'm just kidding but I based on real life and then I'm correct (laughs) like my jokes are fucking pinpoint accurate because I think of the bleakest saddest fucking shit I could think of and here we are. Anyway, please continue. I mean, given their schedules, it makes sense. Only sleeping for four or five hours while dealing with uh, privates for better part of 12 to 14. Sure. That, that little instance where you can actually take a breather at home for 10 minutes before you pass out. Sure. Uh, guy had anger issues. But sure. while we're in this hallway, we get uh, our first army moment. <sighs> Super big guy, bumping Slayer, issuing out gas masks. 
The guy looks me up and down and says, you know what, Private? Your face looks pretentious. I didn't know what to say at the time, especially since I just spent six months getting my uh, butt handed to me by a bunch of sergeants back in my RSD. And I said, yes, drill sergeant. Looked him in the eyes and looked above him a little bit and knit my eyebrows, uh, questioning how to react to that one. And he got extremely angry. Um, (laughs) You were 19, right? I was 19 at the time. Yeah. Um, so he got extremely angry. He got up, lifted me by my lapel, and proceeded to make my life miserable. Uh, there was a few privates in the hallway uh, who watched me get smoked for an hour. And one of the guys, probably a good NCO by now, haven't met him since, but decided to go, hey, let's go full military and do it with him. So we all got smoked. But a few of the privates were like, oh my God, this soldier just got being the shit out of. We're very uh, iffy about this. So they spoke to the chaplain and the chaplain did not do his due diligence and told the senior drill instructor. That's a big no-no. That's really stupid. Drill instructor, of course, immediately cornered us privates, which is also a big no-no before telling the captain. And I got cornered by a group of drill sergeants who were all like, let's protect this guy. Personally, I was just going to take my licks and go on with my life. Because, well, at the time, I just wanted college money. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't trying to get involved in whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> oh, I wasn't. Uh, so, I am so sorry that happened to you, man. Oh, it gets better. Oh, boy. Uh, becomes this huge thing that lasts the entire phase. End up in front of a company commander. The company commander looks me in the face after uh, the drill surgeons did a bunch of stuff like make us pool watch wow. in negative uh, it was like 20 to 30 with ice on the ground and our normal uniforms without cold weather. Seems it, it seems good on above board. Yeah. Above board. Uh, and he asked me what I wanted to do on that. I just said, I just want to graduate. Then I failed my PT test. <laughs> that was fun. But yeah, moving on from that, AIT wasn't bad. I was a heavy equipment operator for a while. I mean, uh, you only really got up to go from there. I mean, yeah. Um, popped on my first mode because I thought, hey, real life experience. This is going to be fantastic. For our listeners at home, what's a MOBE? MOBE is mobilization or a deployment. That's when a National Guard unit spins up and goes somewhere. Yep. We get super fancy. We get super hua is a phrase. You get money. Very army and get very, very good cash. Yeah. Actually, active duty army paychecks, which was fantastic. Um, at the time, I was doing the ROTC program and I wanted real life experience. I had enough of TRADOC and wanted to actively see what the Army was about. I did not realize if I stayed in ROTC and pursued my college degree to finish, I would have gotten more money. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I get it. Things you, you, you look back and you're like, you know what? Because like, I. I probably told you this a thousand times, but like when I was about 20, I got a letter from West Point saying, Hey, you're 
ASVAB scores are off the fucking chart. Do you want to apply? And I'm like, no, I'll go be a field medic instead and go be an E5. It'll be fine. <laughs> I won't be in I won't be I won't apply to a prestigious world class military university. No, that's stupid. I did the same thing. I was yeah. a um yeah. I West Point and before I sabotaged my high school career, um I got a bunch of letters from Stanford and other things. Uh, I now realize education and actively working on learning is huge in life. But at the time, uh, before the military, I thought, hey, let's just do me. Well, I mean, you don't really learn that until you kind of move your way up the socioeconomic ladder, right? Like where we came from, you graduate high school and then you got a job, right? And then like maybe you went to college, but that's probably for people with money, you know? And what you're saying is what people that come from like the middle class understand or the upper middle class understand that your brain is the most valuable thing in the world because eventually your knees and your back are going to (laughs) go. But your brain hopefully can serve you for like 60 or 70 years hopefully or let's hope that your first 40 uh, are good enough that your investing choices are solid and you can certify the next 30 or 40 i mean yeah i plan to pickle mine in scotch for the last 30 or 40 of my run on this <laughs> earth but you know that's me uh, i don't think i'm ever gonna stop working because i don't like myself when i stop working i get lazy yeah i learned pretty fast how NCOs treat their soldiers. Uh, first PHA, I didn't know what a PHA was. I was walking in, meet my NCO. He looks at me, says the same thing that drill sergeant said. You know what? Your face looks a bit pretentious. I just want to punch it. So I learned what my first flashback is. <laughs> Let it go. Okay. You're like, oh, oh, this is post-traumatic stress. I had no idea until now. <laughs> uh, yeah, living anxiety for the better part of my entire basic training experience definitely uh, made that a thing. Yeah. So that was a thing. Um, fast forward to... A he was like bunch. a real piece of shit NCO. <laughs> he's actually not a bad guy, but he's very old school. It was a line unit. Got it. Okay, that makes more sense. Uh, they definitely did things old school. I got smoked quite a bit. Uh, For people who don't know, smoking is when a soldier performs physical remedial training for extended periods of time. Sure. Uh, So flutter kicks, push-ups, holding a rifle over your head for a long period of time, shoulder raises to dumb things like cherry pickers, which is literally touching your index finger to your thumb with your arms fully extended, and then... uh, turning your hand from uh, palms facing upward to palms facing downward again and again. The good upper back exercise. Fantastic. Works the shoulders. (laughs) I've done it before. (laughs) (laughs) The most pointless exercise ever. Yeah. So Uh, what's the heavy equipment operator? So people that drive backhoe loaders, graders, scrapers, excavators, Earth Movers. Um, the fancy title is 
horizontal equipment engineer, actually. Wow. Horizontal construction engineer. <laughs> that sounds real fancy. I read the name horizontal construction engineer. And I thought, yes, this must be a bridge in a civil engineering. Yes. <laughs> no, no. What did you do? Uh, what would you do on Mobe? Uh, on Mobe. After Where'd you go, started. first of all? Uh, a good old Camp Eric John. That's Kuwait, right? Yes, it is. Nice. Right next to Kuwait City. Oh, did you get to go into the city at all or no? I did. I got extremely lucky. They were like, awkward kid. Must be good with computers. To be honest, at the time, I wasn't. I was just a good. And I knew how to use the Google machine. Um, and they were like, oh, you have a high ASVAB score. You'll learn fast. I worked because I was actually trying to get into that or something more high speed when I in processed. But because the recruiters kind of tend to try to fill the slots to uh, make sure the army receives the soldiers they need at what time they need. I did not get the positions that I could have got. No. Um, so back over recruiters of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to avoid saying that, but I have my personal opinions on that. I met one or two good ones. And I'll leave it at that. So Kuwait, uh, it was really nice for me. I got tasked out to a brigade element and got to start working on computers. Uh, I did not know how much I loved them until they actually sat me in front of one and were like, hey, let's toss everything at you. You're going to be the guy that works on the roadside generators. You're going to be the guy that helps the supply sergeant. You're going to be the guy that is our makeshift IMO, information management officer, or weird dude that files tickets for IT to fix stuff. <laughs> You're going to be our facilities maintenance officer. You're going to start repairing drywall and all that. I was literally the most glorified intern you could think of. I mean, you're what, an E2, E3? I was an E4 at that time. I actually, that was my first clever career move. I was an E3 at the time. A private was going out, shaking general's hands and being all high speed and stuff. When they stuck me there, one of the classes I had to take for the facility maintenance officer required me to be an E4. <laughs> I wanted to ask out anyone who had equipment operating skills to the job I was doing. So they were like, well, guess you're getting promoted. <laughs> so I learned what a backdoor promotion was. And well, let's avoid the phrase, but... Um, <laughs> I learned very quickly how to get my promotions and get them fast. In fact, all my promotions were they give me the rank, I slap it on and say, yay. The only one that I've gotten, uh, well, that changed after I got my fives, but that was a thing. Sure. We'll get to there. Um, so how long were you in Kuwait, sir? Uh, that portion was about a year and a half. Yeah. I did. Uh, it was about nine months with a three-month extension, so a full year actively in country. Sure. And what happened when you got home? That one was a bit rough. Yeah. Um, after going through and actively trying to train up on all the job skills I could possibly manage, volunteering for every single course I could, I came back and thought I was employable. Uh, I went through 
all of the simple tasks or soldier for life transition programs at the time to identify how to build a resume, how to develop career skills, blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was employable. And then I went out and learned quickly I was not. Yeah. Um, I definitely had that veteran's preference for me, uh, but didn't have the skill sets to do really anything. I ended up very, very quickly uh, on the job market begging for a job. Oh, by that, I mean, usually people can find a job at like Chase Bank or something as a teller um, or something in the IT realm for answering phone calls and doing stuff. Me? Uh, I can't even get those jobs at the time. They looked at my resume and laughed, which was moderately insulting. So went back to school. Was very so did they laugh at your military credentialing or do they laugh at your general like I was young choices? and didn't have any skills or talents whatsoever my resume reflected that and I was like oh well this is extremely humbling at the time um, the career counselors made it sound like it was super easy for soldiers to get jobs I can tell you as a guardsman that's not so much uh that's not very true, but I ended up working as a driver helper for UPS. In other words, uh, during Black Friday after Thanksgiving, the people that run the package to the door, generally UPS, goes through a hiring phase where they hire on a bunch of young people so the drivers don't have to run because technically their drivers should never run and their driver helpers should never run, but drivers have to make the deliveries and the drivers have to make the deliveries fast so actors have to get the door somehow I I'm not putting on pants to go get it I get it (laughs) I got really good at sprints and my running score definitely was great for a while yeah that happens like when you're fucking just hungry not like not like you're like hungry as a person you're like I just want to fucking do something and then you know, I mean, there's that. Yeah. Like I, I, I remember being a grown man standing in a fucking food bank line. And it is, that is a humbling experience. <laughs> like I, I remember being broke. Yeah. Um, okay. So did you ever finish up? Cause so you, we started at the same two year school. I am still in college. I, Worked UPS. I worked um, there for a while. I started networking in. Finally found a job at Pilot Freight Services when I was going to IUPUI to try to finish out my supply chain degree. Um, went through a rough patch. My mother died. Uh, uh, car got stolen. Nearly went homeless. And uh, the Kelly School of Business refused my application to get into their program at the time. I was on active duty orders and missed my packet submission. I tried to file for an exemption and unfortunately was not able to get into that program. Um, So I was in a very, very precarious situation. Um, At that time, I was working for H.H. Craig and my boss fired me on the spot when I couldn't make him to work the next day. 
so again, back to job hunting, this entire like portion of my life was kind of iffy because high stress and no sleep, lots of caffeine, lots of drinking and uh, yeah. Yeah, rock bottom sucks. Oh yeah. Do you want to talk about your mom at all? And you can say no. <laughs> I'll talk about my mom a little bit, but to give more background on sure. situation. Um, or just so, tell her story, maybe. Uh, I will. To fully emphasize my mom's death and why it was poignant to me and why that moment in my life was stressful. Um, when I got back from my first MOBE, on top of trying to do all the job hunting and trying to survive, uh, my best friend moved out on me within the first week and I gave a single mother housing for six months um, since my room was unoccupied and I was gained BAH and this woman recently got divorced and was going through a rough patch. I thought I would help her out. Um, so I gave her free housing so her and her daughter could get back on their feet. Uh, which also went very, very, very poorly, very fast. My mom was a very, very unique individual. She was very strong-willed, also never finished college. Um, but she had some hard experiences. Uh, she lost her sister to multiple sclerosis, and she was a very Christian woman. She had hoped that praying trying to abide by her faith would give her sister another chance to die a peaceful death. She did not get that. Lost her sister in a very rough way. Um, which has its own drama because she got stiffed by a church selling her prayer cloths. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots and lots of money into that. Her sister still died despite buying a $10 prayer cloth all the time to try to facilitate the church's prayers to... Was, was, this, was this one of those TV churches? No, it was an in-person church, but it was kind of like a TV church. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Uh, an interesting opinion on religion after that, but... I um, don't blame you. So that happened and she went through a rough patch went from church to church got kicked out quite a bit um because she just was stressed and wasn't handling well and eventually that had some damage on her psyche she wasn't sleeping wasn't eating right wasn't moving uh eventually started hoarding and got to the point where she started hearing voices and thought things were under her skin crawling around uh, started talking about sun cult trying to get, come out and kill her a bunch of dark stuff I had so no idea when she eventually passed um, she was at the point where she couldn't walk and uh, was using a wheelchair or a cane to get around um, and it was very much self-inflicted, but that was very rough for me. Um, and dealing with that while growing up, coupled to the point of coming back from my first home, having 
what little semblance of a safety blanket that I had with my friends group leaving me and my mom. I still care deeply for despite having quite a few bad stories. Of course. Uh, also dying, being unemployed, being completely removed from absolutely everything. It was a fun moment. I'm so sorry, man. I, I didn't know. I, I, I don't think I ever asked. I always go out of my way to talk to people about their own issues, especially since I have a number of my own. Um, I relate to people easily when they talk about their dark moments because I have experienced plenty of my own. That's probably why we're such good friends. Mm, I would say it's your sense of humor, but... I mean, there's that, yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta laugh. Um, okay, well, thanks for sharing that. Okay. So, what was after Rock Bottom? What got you out of Rock Bottom? Mm, I am the definition of a climber. Rock Bottom was pretty rough. Yeah. So- I use absolutely every National Guard program I could think of. Um, and I learned pretty fast not to trust people with paperwork. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few programs out there to help guard soldiers and quite a few people who are very, very good-hearted and well-intending. But unfortunately, they have things like golf outings and boards and reviews and have to identify if those soldiers actively need aid. So um, I filed for absolutely everything under the sun and started reading the fine print on everything. Um, Eventually, after I started using my post-9-11 GI Bill benefits in combination with Working UPS to, um, I went back to UPS, using the career fairs in the area to target and identify how to network with people and talk with people in every single way. I am often told it seems like I have multiple different personalities because I just how I talk to people based on how they act. Um... I learned a lot of social skills extremely fast because I was not able to afford to eat. Uh, So that was fun. And then you climbed your way out. I climbed my way out. One job at a time. Yeah, that's how it's done. But if you're talking about what can go wrong for guardsmen, there's plenty that can. Let's hear some stories. So there's the romance stuff, which is always fun. Oh, let's go through the greatest hits, sir. (laughs) Uh, So there's the girl before. Every soldier has basic training girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. For me, a beautiful girl who was way out of my league and is now an accountant whose dad worked in advertising and had a super fantastic house, million dollar house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's way out of our league, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Point where I'd walk into it and immediately the poor in me would scream, you don't belong here. Like you assume you'd work at a place like that, but not be invited there as a guest of the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I get it. Definitely didn't get along well. And then there's the girl that comes after. Yeah. Uh, so my basic training girlfriend overlapped with a girl I had a crush on for a while. Sure. Uh, I started dating that ended in a super bad ball of flame. Um, but still was friends, which led to an awkward romance through basic training. Uh, I literally dated her for like three weeks before she said, your opinion on art sucks. So we're not dating anymore. What? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there was this exhibit about the Terracotta Warriors. If you don't know what the Terracotta Warriors are, they're a bunch of clay soldiers. Um, clay might be pushing a little bit, but... It's like a Native American thing? No, it's actually a Chinese emperor thing. Got it. Uh, to protect an emperor, they're bury him with a bunch of terracotta warriors. Terracotta is actually building material that's used to make the warriors, if I'm not mistaken, but really, really prevalent. And I think the Han Dynasty, it's been a while since I looked into them. I got really into it for a while because I just enjoy research. Sure. There was an art exhibit by a French artist which fem- featured female terracotta warriors. And I was like, yeah, I don't like that because it's not historically accurate. And at the time, it was just a bunch of males. There were like a few female warriors, but it was very, very few and far between. An exhibit that showed like a bunch of female warriors just doesn't make sense. And she's like, oh, you're sexist, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Where was this at an Arby base? And this wasn't an army base. This was right before I went in the military. The reason yeah. why I'm saying that is because this person was still my friend when I was going through and was sending me a bunch of memes and other stuff. So every single moment I got, she was my safety blanket. I would wait for those letters, wait for those memes and go, ah, which was dumb because she also was like, dump. Yeah. But I'm a safety blanket. Latch on to whatever you can. I get it. And there was the awkward girls that we hung out with. <laughs> Let's just move right past them. <laughs> this is about you. This isn't about me and all of my fruitless attempts at romance my freshman year of college. <laughs> oh, come on. They were fun. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Um, One of them was someone that was key in my dating life. Um, also... <sighs> Before the military and after the military, uh, it was a instant, hey, we're dating, we're not dating, we're dating, we're not dating. I'm a bartender, we're dating, we're not dating, dumped. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say her name, but you know. I think I do. And I, you know, she, yeah, no, I'm not going to say anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I do know who. All right. So then there was the barracks bunny. The Barracks Bunny. Is this the Barracks Bunny from Kuwait? Barracks Bunny from Kuwait. <laughs> I was extremely dumb. Um, I dated one of the admin MLSs, and I thought, hey, this is going to be great. Everyone was telling me, red flag, red flag. <laughs> Don't do it. And of course, being extremely dumb went, ooh, girl with a very, very nice uh, posterior and leggings. <laughs> going to talk to her and over projected and ignored the fact that when we started dating she was divorced yeah um and 
you know, you're clearly a successful grown man on your own. And I don't want to say anything at the time. But after I learned that you you two crazy kids just didn't go the distance, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it was not the best relationship. Um, like, it, we've all had that one horrible, horrible Barracks Bunny experience. I totally understand. Oh, yeah. I was the guy that went, I'm going to commit. And <laughs> I did. And then it was like, open relationship. I was like, okay. And then every time she wanted to go back into one, I was all right with it because I thought, hey, this is going to be fun. And looking back on it was decidedly not. I'm I'm so proud of myself for not telling you what to do that whole fucking time. I'm such a nosy bitch. Like, I'm such a busybody person. And I'm like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. I did not learn from my mistakes but that's later and and, and again i only know things because of all of the horrendous mistakes i made before the lord blessed me with the best of all possible wives so (laughs) that's fair (sighs) i was a-okay with overlooking all of her flaws because i was able to empathize with the stuff she was going through and that is one of the main reasons why I have learned that making friendships through the hardships that you've had in the past is not healthy. Um, but Barracks Bunny did not go well. Oh my God, no. Open relationship. Um, had plenty of friends who probably would have been better suited for me. Um, and that winds into the second mode. That hot professor from the opening story would have been better suited for you. Because she would have had money. Probably. Yeah. You could have been just like the hot cabana boy. Pre-basic training girlfriend with a lot of money would have been much better. Oh, fuck, yeah. (laughs) And you and I would have been such good friends, like brothers. (laughs) It definitely does not help that she is doing rather well for herself now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you're so happy, so that's fine. I am happy, and I'm not trashing on it at all. My happiness is something I've spent a long time pursuing, but man, if only I had money earlier. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's nothing Nothing makes you appreciate financial stability more than going like, oh, I've got $7. Just $7. Like, barely enough to keep the bank account open. And you're like, oh, I guess I'll go to the food bank. And then, because I know where all the best food banks are here in the city. So if things ever went way south, I know where to go. Look, man, I've gotten to the point where I can eat old garden consistently. So I'm super happy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like I've, so we have this idea that I really like is that, you know, you've made it when you go to the grocery store and you don't even look at the price tag of stuff. The price tag barely matters that's fair and and that's kind of like we're not rich or anything but like oh we want this and we want this and we live simple lives anyway so but it's nice and and you can look at food and be like oh that's probably got way too much sodium in it like you could be like oh i'm too good for that mre (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so talk about your second mob sir what's the time frame 
uh, time frame is relatively recent. Um, I was a mob hopper and a unit hopper. There you go. Uh, my first unit, my engineering unit, I was identified as the weird computer kid. Moved over to a signal unit. Took forever to get my MOS and only got it because I jumped into a division element mobing. Um, but don't want to get into too much on the elements names or anything <sighs> hopped into my second mob as an IT professional yeah um, that I gotta be specific as an IT professional I absolutely adored it I was given multiple opportunities but started making some heavy romance mistakes yet again Still was dating the barracks bunny, but fell on hard times because after a five-year relationship, it was doomed to fail. Uh, when people say open relationships don't work, well, uh, ten to one they don't. On rare occasion, people can make it work, but I can definitely say I haven't had a good experience. But was this the same barracks bunny that you dated before? This was, and this is when our relationship ended. Um, within the first couple weeks, I met a another barracks bunny who I didn't realize was a barracks bunny at the time. I was super dumb. Um, but at that point, the girl I was dating uh, gave me an ultimatum. She said, hey, if you stay in the army or in any military service, we are breaking up. And the fact that she gave me an ultimatum was... Well, pretty much the end of that. She had every right to because military at that time had stressed me out at so many issues that came up from just mobilizing and living life and going through my issues. Um, For the record, she was also a terrible human being. (laughs) (laughs) She was, she was, and I've known a lot of your girlfriends over 10 years. She was a horrible individual. (laughs) And I, you're so, you're so much better off. (laughs) she had her issues um so that ended extremely bad um and i met this other girl i thought oh my god this person's going through a rough patch again making friendships on hardships you were just like fucking just a bleeding heart just just a just a dumb golden retriever. You just want someone to just to patch it behind the back of the ears. <laughs> like you poor son of a bitch. <laughs> I was very, very dumb. Oh, Aaron, it's you, you're not. It's you're not dumb for having an overwhelming sense of compassion. It's the best thing about you. It's. It It's. Because I, I used to be that guy. I remember being that guy. And it's, you just want everyone to be okay. I get it. And that's, we need people like that in the world. And the sad part is, there's a lot of people that uh, are just kind of in it for number one. And you're in it for the group right you're in it for like oh you're a human and me as another human i can reach out my hand as your brother and then i can help lift you up and together we can rise and you know to the top of the mountain and i was the awkward guy before the military that started reading things pushed out by fort leavenworth about 
army ethics and the military ethos and the army doctrine. There is actually a fantastic publication on the army doctrine and the idea that a lot of officers had when they were trying to encourage a concept called esprit de corps or trying to actively work as a actively work as a team unfortunately uh things don't usually things have a tendency to push away from that but it is a fantastic goal it especially when you first go in you when you feel like you don't have never you've never been a part of anything even okay and then you're part of something great or something that says, hey, we're a great, you know, this is the best of the best organization and we take care of each other and leave no man behind. And there's all this like romantic sort of over, I get it. I drank the Kool-Aid for a long time. I, I, and, and, and you've got like this giant fucking heart, right? And it's a wonderful trait about you. And, and I'm going to go on record on a podcast and say, it's amazing. And it's one of the reasons we've been friends for over 10 years. I appreciate that, bro. Yeah. Going back to the story, um, she was going through a hard time and her friends were going through a hard time. Um, she, well, her brother was in a bad spot, threatening mm-hmm. suicide pretty consistently. She had lived a hard life. Um, her unit wasn't the best. There was a first sergeant that was sleeping around with a bunch of specialists and to be one of them. Uh, she had a miscarriage with his kid. Uh, and he was actively having fun with the supply sergeant. So that entire unit had quite a bit of drama. That is top to bottom. Like, 100%. Wow. And it wasn't the first time I had heard of things like that. So I went out of my way to be dumb. Um, by that, I mean, I was a gopher. I was buying this girl food when she didn't want to leave the barracks. I was buying her snacks, grabbing her uh, dinner at the DFAC. I was encouraging her to go out to country night. I was going out of my way to be a good person. Um, her friend who also went through a sexual assault, I also made friends with, and I went in and um, tried my best to do whatever I could to help her with her weight loss. Um, yeah. You're not dumb for help. A hundred percent. I can't fully tell either of their stories because they're not mine to tell. We'll move on then. But... You're not not dumb for helping people. The dumb part was at the time, uh, I had my own drama. My aunt had passed. My family members are alive. Um, And she had left a house in Chicago. That house technically was inherited by my mom and then passed to me. Um, And one share of it, at least. Mm Mm-hmm. That aunt had grown extremely old and had let that house fall in on itself. So a $400,000 piece of property devalued to around the lot value of 100000 and my family tried to salvage it. Then got into a court battle. 
um, I quickly got myself out by signing over my rights to it, but for a long while, my family tried to drag me into that. Oh, that sucks. It was pretty miserable. Was this uh, a was this a court that? So, it, stop me if I'm being an asshole. Um, is I know it's I say a look in your face, you're like it's your default setting. It's it's hard not for you not to be an asshole. Um, so your family was all in a court battle over a dilapidated piece of property that had devalued seventy five percent to a hundred k. Yep, that that's a hundred k in Chicago. Yep, because which. 100K in Indiana is different than 100K in Chicago by a mile. With taxes and a number of other things, yes. And eventually the property was condemned and it was in an entirely another system. And there's a lot of drama behind it. But if we're talking red flags, that property had red flags on it. And my family's reaction to the property had red flags. Um, The property is green mold all over, uh, raccoon shit. Uh, it looked like one of the dilapidated pieces of property that you see in photos of Detroit. Floors actually falling in. Sounds they, they like were, just signing it over is probably the easiest. It doesn't sound like it's worth the fight. It was. And I definitely got myself out of it. But for a good while, yeah. it was stressor in my life while I was trying to help out my friends with again no safety net um, I have done quite a bit on my own but that was fun done a lot on your own you fucking you you figured out life on your own man especially the last 10 years holy shit <laughs> like I mean you were a kid when I met you but you're like a really successful guy now like You've done incredible things going from where you started to where you are now, night and day, right? I appreciate the flattery. I am moderately successful and I am very happy with what I've done. And see, that's the Midwest modesty kicking in right there. Anyway, so you were overseas in March of 2020, yes? I was. Um, and that's when COVID kicked off. How was that in Kuwait? <laughs> it was interesting. So at first, when the news reports of COVID as a virus uh, were airing, it was interesting. Um, at first, we didn't think it was a thing, and we all were extremely skeptical. I remember being overconfident and claiming it would blow over. <laughs> you weren't the only Poorly. one. Fine. <laughs> I took epidemiology courses in college, and I was like, "Yeah, this isn't going to be that big of a thing." Like, the world's like, not going to shut down, and millions of people aren't going to die. It looks just like the flu. People are going to take care of it like the flu. We've done this before. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So things start getting weird. Uh, the PXs started shutting down. The food courts started shutting down. They moved the bleachers into the basketball court so we couldn't congregate. They said, no more gym time. So all the soldiers were extremely bored, and the barracks started getting very, very sad. Yeah. 
lots of men with too much free time. Um, Gay sex. Oh yeah, definitely. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, <laughs> uh, hey, no, it's it's just love, man. It's just love. <laughs> look, they're just on deployment. It's fine. <laughs> I, um, it was always funny when I was on my one deployment a million years ago, when we came home, because like guys would like they wouldn't quite like full tongue make out, right? But like being gay was. Yeah, it got super gay, but then we get home and all of a sudden, like their wives are there, and being gay is icky, right? <laughs> I'm like, guys, come on. <laughs> yeah, there was the game gay chicken. Yeah, that, that was the thing. I kind of think that's just. How, I mean, I never played it, but I kind of think that's just how people paired off when their wives were gone. Like, I have played it, and I can tell you, it is definitely out there to surprisingly um, impress girls. For some reason, a lot of girls are attracted to bisexual guys, and plenty of straight guys have played it just in hopes of impressing a girl. Wait, I tell you from experience, that does not work. <laughs> Wait, was that that was a thing? That was a thing. What? I just color yourself lucky that you never hit that low in dating. I, I, yeah, I'm. So... That makes sense because I don't know what I was doing anyway. Like, so somehow I convinced the beautiful goddess to marry me. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to go with it. Um. Okay. Wow. So, when did you come home? I came home right after it started becoming a thing. Um. So around March, April time frame, the virus became pretty prevalent and people started swarming, grabbing toilet paper, grabbing peas, carrots, whatever they could to sustain their stuff. Um, And our flights back home were pushed to the right, which means postponed. It kept on getting canceled and eventually we got out of country. We finally made it back home. The first flight had the worst experience. They got stuck in Fort Hood and didn't get any food. They were fed peas and carrots for the longest time. Eventually, we posted a bunch of stuff on Facebook. First Army picked it up and had a few conversations with a few of the leaders. Uh, and that was quickly rectified. But How do you... Peas and carrots? You're not a I... rabbit! And very small portions of that, too. Um Ah, oh, it sucks. I I spent a week in the woods on half rations, and when you're kind of like hungry all the time after a couple of days, it kind of gets to you. When you're hungry all the time and stuck in just the barracks, oh, it was bad. Fuck. I was on one of the last flights, so I still had some food, but not much. Um, they started peppering and increasing the food supply as we went especially since they got a lot of negative press on it. But, <laughs> don't say. Um, don't worry. They're America's heroes. We support the troops. We just don't feed them. Like, <laughs> it got bad. It got bad. Um, yeah. But we... I made it back stateside because at the time I was talking to my wife and I'm like, I really hope they don't extend him for the duration of the crisis. Like, we didn't know just how deep this rabbit hole was going to go and I kept hearing like there's going to be 15 million people dead 
Yep. <laughs> okay. So on that note, let's wrap this up a little bit then. Um, so you came home and what was it like when you got back to the States? You came back to the Midwest. Did you, so you, you left and America was one way and then you came home and everyone's just hiding in their houses, afraid of the sun. How was that for you? It was an interesting experience. I spent an entire year in the sun networking to actively get career experience and work on intense projects in hopes of getting a job. And I came back in a world where the job market wasn't there. So when a third of the country was unemployed, <laughs> when a third of the country was unemployed, <laughs> was very happy to have resources and networked as intensely as I could to find my current career path, which I am extremely happy to be on. But a quarter mile north of my house, uh, the food bank people set up a bread line, and 5,000 people went through on one Saturday. Wow. Yeah, I didn't go there because I was stalked like it was a nuclear apocalypse. But <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And then I panicked and I tried to grow potatoes in the basement. I ended up growing mostly mold. <laughs> For my employer, my very first day after I got in, I went into an empty office building and no one's computer equipment was there. I met one receptionist, which led me through cubicles and cubicles of just emptiness it, it was weird because i could see everyone's family pictures up but no laptops no desktops no monitors nothing not a, a mouse they led me back to a training room where there was four other people it looked really sketchy like hey we're gonna start selling knives or hey have you tried to sell insurance before <laughs> kind of kind of like after infinity war when thanos snapped the infinity gauntlet and you're like everyone's dead <laughs> where did everybody go i yeah. i i i went back to i've been working from home from my job for like two years and since the crisis began and i remember going back to my office for the first time to clean up my desk and then I'm like, oh, my monitor's been on the entire time. <laughs> That's a waste of electricity. That's fine. Your employer only spent probably 400 bucks on it over the course of the year. It's in the budget. It's okay. <laughs> um, and, I, and, and I had a friend. She got hired on the same place. And then she's walking through. And then she's like, oh, everyone's family pictures are still up. And no one's here. <laughs> like she thought everyone died um anyway sir i think we'll wrap up there um i want to thank you for hopping on i want to thank you for your service to the country i want to thank you for sharing your story and i'm so proud of the guy that you are you've done such an amazing job turning yourself into the guy you want to be and you kept that big huge giant heart that you've always had and you, I mean, you may, it may be a little more guarded than it used to be, but it's still there. And that's one of the things I love the most about you. Anyway, sir, thanks for being on, Aaron. Brother, I love you a lot. I appreciate the compliments and I hope you have a fantastic day. Okay. Mm-hmm.